Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So before we get into this one, a quick trigger warning, um, brief mentions of deaths around COVID, uh, sexual assault, racial trauma, eating disorders, and suicide, because um, we are talking about PTSD. June is PTSD Awareness Month. Yeah. So we thought we'd talk about what PTSD looks like, especially during what is a very trying and traumatic time right now. If you already deal with PTSD, it's very triggering time. COVID itself is traumatic and then pandemic and quarantine and then the racial trauma the Black community continues to face is particularly raw right now. And and I know I've seen many posts, especially from Black women talking about being very fatigued um, and trauma fatigued. And I can completely 100, 10,000% understand. And also domestic abuse has gone up and suicide hotlines are being saturated at this point in time. Yeah. And I read some interviews with people who uh, run those hotlines. And this is a particularly traumatic time for them as well, because we're all going through this on some level. Like, obviously, some people are going through other things on top of being in a pandemic with a lot of uncertainty and um, all the protests in our country and the uncertainty around that. So there is that level of almost connection there that Mm -hmm. perhaps people who operated the suicide hotlines didn't have before, but now it's like kind of a shared thing. Right. Um, And we've talked a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, on this show. It's something that we both experienced due to past sexual assault and abuse. And yes, because of the constant undercurrent of uncertainty, of anxiety, the disruption of routine, the isolation, it is a very triggering time around a lot of things. And for me personally, I have been really triggered lately. I've had nightmares and flashbacks, like racing heart, um, trouble breathing normally, hardcore zoning out, inability to sleep, dramatic emotional shifts, crying. Um, and, and for people with eating disorders like me, all the talk around food and weight about groceries and having enough food or not having enough food or not having the right food is very triggering too. Um, and because of that, I've started having virtual dinners with friends. And that helps, but it's also really scary and really vulnerable because I um, hadn't shared with a lot of friends that that was something that I dealt with. So that was oh, something. Really? I, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I I finally reached the point where I was frightened and I right. had to tell people. Um, so that's scary. <laughs> scary right. too. Right. I think that I definitely understand all of that. I have been going through a lot of roller coasters between guilt and, and fatigue. And uh, I've also gone through sleeplessness, but I also go with the overboard. I think I told you recently, I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure if I went to a doctor about narcolepsy, I may qualify because I get so overwhelmed that I have to sleep. Like I am immobilized and immediately must sleep because I'm so drained and so overwhelmed. Um, and that also goes into, I have also done the emotional shifts and crying and zoning out and just trying to take my mind off things, but also the guilt of knowing I am privileged to be able to take my mind off things. And right. that should not be the case for me right now. I've had this new overwhelming feeling, I guess is the best way to put it, with 
the fact that I've been raised by a white family and and the whole level of what it looks like to be a woman of color in Atlanta in these times when talking about loyalty and gratefulness mm-hmm. and the line between what I was taught growing up to what I know is right and wrong and to what I've always known was right and wrong and always feeling conflicted and always feeling like an outsider to being on the outside on every course, including within the Asian community. I feel like I'm an outsider. Within the white community, I'm an outsider. Within this um, these movements and protests, I'm definitely an outsider. And it's just such a weird place for me because nothing I feel like I've been doing or that we do is good enough or on the right track. And I know you have been on the receiving end of me having a panic attack about what we're doing and what we're not doing. Uh, My partner has been, (laughs) poor thing, has been around for the entire time of me losing and stressing over the level of what is right and what is wrong, being terrified that I'm not representing things to its uh, fullness Mm -hmm. and to its honesty and to its truth, as well as acknowledging the fact that there's this feeling of betrayal that I cannot let go of even though it's not completely true. There's this whole underlying thing that has triggered and openly uh, opened up these wounds from my past mm-hmm. of things that I try to hide away from or tried things that I played away from or even believe that I was doing the right thing mm-hmm. because I just needed to be a part of something or at least be invisible. And that's not that's no longer something that we can afford to just go under the radar and to be invisible and to be quiet. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely been a a hard time. Um, And speaking, for medical professionals failing daily exposure to COVID, I cannot imagine seeing all the articles they, seeing all the articles and first-person accounts from these medical fields um, about the fact that they're seeing more illness, more death, and sometimes being asked to facilitate final conversations between loved ones. Seeing the refrigerated truck of bodies, not having the protective gear they need, having to actually be a part of counter-protests to those who felt like these quarantines were infringing on their rights to get a haircut. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a generalization, but the fact that they had to be, not only are they on the front lines for this, but they have to fight to have people to be healthy, (laughs) to Mm -hmm. ask them to be healthy. Uh, This is a particularly traumatizing time for them. There's also something called moral injury, not being able to abide by deeply held beliefs, like not having enough ventilators for patients, or perhaps even not being able to protest when you're unable to for whatever reasons. And that is definitely something that has come into our conversations with you and I talking about whether we should go to these protests, what protests to go to, um, feeling guilty if we're not there. Um, but it's also a traumatic time for those who contract the virus and experience social isolation and fear for their life when they're admitted to the hospital. The fight or flight response is triggered and some patients receive an injection of adrenaline, which ripples out to those that care about them. The self-quarantine that medical professionals and people recovering from the virus that separates from families and friends only increases the risk of developing PTSD or making symptoms worse. Yeah, and I have lost family members during this and the choices you have to make of being there or not um, around the funeral are really, really brutal. And it's it's awful not being able to say goodbye. And, and like I said in a recent episode, um, I've seen it in my mom. She has a PTSD now around people dying suddenly because of everything that's happened and all the people she's lost in less than a year. Uh, when I told her, 
I'd been to the protest, she started crying. And and not because she was upset that I went. Um, She said she was proud, but she was so scared for me. She she was afraid that I was going to get it and die. Right. And that's definitely a part of the conversation that my parents and I don't have. Uh, We kind of keep our conversations very short wellness checks and kind of move on because we are absolutely at the different spectrums of beliefs, especially (laughs) politically. But also with, well, I guess COVID could be considered political now because of the way it's being used. Um, But even our understanding of what COVID is and how high risk it is to the effect of this protest. And we have not even brought up that conversation because we are so argumentative and on the opposite spectrums that it has become a point of dissent and we've had to stop. But yeah, it's just, I know that for them, A, they want to know that I'm safe. B, they don't understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. But even like my partner, his he gets a daily call now asking because he's been to a few protests too. They're like, are you there now? Are you okay? Are you safe? To make sure that he's not getting hurt as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, And of note, uh, experts have said that social media may make all of this worse. They think that's one way it sets it apart from previous pandemics and protests. And I, oh my gosh, I noticed such a huge difference when I stepped away from social media for a bit. So I I know we advise this in almost every other episode, but, you know, if you need to take time limits, do your mental health checks, do these things to take care of yourself. Because if you get to the point where you're just so overwhelmed, you can't do anything. You're not helping anyone. Right. It has definitely become a disruptive part of my life where I have always had issues staying off the phone. And I say that always as in when we've gotten <laughs> right. the interwebs in our hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially because of everything that's going on, I get the variety of my news from things like Twitter and right. columns and articles because I hate listening to the things that infect my brain. Like, so news is awful to me. And anytime I hear the president speak, I get physically nauseous and I get angry and I have to leave the room. I just cannot hear these things. So reading it, at least I can, you know, um, control a little bit of what I'm having to read and how far I have to read and what, you know, all of that, control that part. But because of that, I have a hard time putting that down because I'm afraid that I'm going to miss information. I'm afraid I'm going to miss an event. I'm afraid that things are uh, slipping under the radar and therefore cannot let go of social media, cannot stop. But I have had to go to the point that I actually physically turn off my phone for Mm -hmm. a couple of hours at a time. And I say a couple of hours because that's all I can do away from it. And it's been a whole kind of whirlwind just seeing how much I depend on what is being written in social media or the columns or the articles that I want to read. And the fact that because of things moving so quickly, so fast and so many things happening, that if I do step away from it for a little while, that I'll miss miss something big. Yeah. I've definitely seen that too. And I think it is compounded by the fact that we're all inside, right? Like, so we're sort of in this nervous, anxious state where we feel like we can't control anything and and the news is just constant. So yeah, I would just advise checking in around that and and maybe putting in some times that you particularly do it. I know for me, I don't... And this is also in my pursuit of one day sleeping well for an hour before I go to bed. I usually try not to be on anything electronic 
I don't always succeed, but usually. (laughs) Right. That's way Um, better than I do. I've been doing that for years. And people are like, we know you're awake. Why didn't you answer my text? I'm like, I'm trying to sleep though. I'm trying so hard. Yeah, I have learned that most likely you have turned it off, which I really am proud of you because I wish I had that fortitude. (laughs) Well, when you reach the levels of like not sleeping, I do. I I bet you That's fair. We need um, we between the two of us we have the perfect sleeping habit. Then. Yes, again we're like a transformer. <laughs> um, some doctors have written about how some people with PTSD or CPTSD, which is complex PTSD, or OCD or something similar, might actually do relatively well during this time. Some people, not everybody, depending on their coping mechanisms and how your symptoms manifest. Because, like, for instance, if you're untrusting, hey, that works perfectly for social distancing. Um, the work of managing your symptoms is often now a valuable resource for friends and family who didn't have to deal with PTSD before or having this sort of constant anxiety. People who previously didn't understand PTSD can now understand it better. Um, that they now that they can have now that they do have their own feelings around lack of control and panic and fear and emotion regulation. So I have seen articles from some people who have PTSD or something like that saying, I I almost feel like a superhero now because everyone's (laughs) reaching out and I have all these coping mechanisms and tips that I can share. So there is that aspect of it. Yes. Um, Experts predict, surprise, surprise, a huge wave of PTSD in the wake of COVID-19. They are urging that services and funding like mental health screenings be made available for healthcare workers in the front line, hotlines, and expanded access to telehealth services. And I've even seen, especially with the things that are happening uh, in the Black community and the and the continued trauma that they're having to witness, whether it's videos, whether it's from the protests, whether it's, you know, all of that, um, whether it's just the bigger news coverage, which, because we all know, it's been happening. This has been happening. So we can go ahead and say that. But now it's being amplified 10 times more, 20 times more um, for the rest of the community, the rest of the country, the rest of the world to see, but which packs on even more PTSD for that community. And and I will say right now, the the bigger question and the arguments coming for specifically for Black women and children and the impact this is causing on them as well. Um, and I have seen funds coming together to provide more access and more mental health care, which I'd love to see, but still not enough because we can also, again, talk about disparagement in healthcare and mental health services for the Black community, for Black women, for Black children, and all of that and how it is not afforded to them and why this is a, an atrocity in our community, in our country, in our healthcare, in our society that only holds up in regards to white people, uh, almost even the Asian community, more so than the other women of color. And that's obnoxious and unjustifable and absurd. Off my soapbox, sorry. <laughs> agreed, agreed, agreed. Um, and, and a study out of Wuhan, China, recently conducted, found that 700 recovering COVID patients surveyed out of them, 96% of them had symptoms of PTSD. So this is a very founded concern. Another found that 25% of patients that undergo the traumatic experience of being on a ventilator develop PTSD. Um, It also found that for patients that left the ICU with depression, they had a 47% higher risk of dying within two years as opposed to those that left without depression. And if we do look at police brutality and protesting, that can cause PTSD or be triggering for people who already have it 
too, which means it disproportionately impacts Black people in this country. Seeing those images and videos of police brutality can be incredibly traumatizing, even if you personally haven't experienced it, which is called vicarious victimization. Um, Yes, always think about that before you post. Not saying don't post things, but think about how to label it to warn people, get permission, things like that. Um, And watching these videos can have physical effects due to the release of the stress hormone cortisol, which can make you feel wiped out, that your heart is racing, that you can't quite catch your breath. Actually, a recent study suggests that nearly 2 million of the protesters in Hong Kong have developed PTSD, and that's almost one-third of the population. Also, triggering for those that have experienced domestic violence, and we already know those numbers have gone up, but a question is how often is it being reported, especially if you look at the Black community and whether or not they have the ability to contact or uh, get help and who they're calling us. Obviously, the police are not trusted right now. Right, right. Um, So these are emotionally trying times for a lot of us. And if you have PTSD, Maybe you've had it for a while. Maybe you've developed it recently as a part of all of this. Um, it it can be particularly isolating and, and frightening. So some things I've been doing, uh, yoga, meditation, virtual hangouts. Um, and I have been trying to be open with what I'm going through and what I'm concerned with. Even if I just say like, look, this is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm dealing with. I don't really want to talk about it. But I want you to be aware that it's happening. And that's why I feel like I need to have at least a set hangout however many times a week or whatever. Um, writing. Oh my God, the fan fiction is so much fan fiction, the fan fiction. <laughs> but also <laughs> journaling, um, dancing, gaming, limiting my time on social media, trying to be mindful of where feelings are coming from, where thoughts are coming from, why I'm doing things. Yeah. Um, and I've always been one of those that love Rewatching things that mm-hmm. are familiar and cozy to me. And if Green Gables, one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the problematic things now is uh, what has aged well and what hasn't. So sure. I have to <laughs> sure. be mindful of that. Right. But as a person who does deal with anxiety and does not like change, repetition of shows like that for me is always a good thing. Um, and of course, if there's therapy, that is a good, great option. Uh, I need to get back in. <laughs> Because <laughs> I've been out for a minute uh, because of cost and affordability. But yeah, it's, it's time. I think it's uh, a good time. If that, again, is available to you, if you're able to afford it, again, there is some assistance out there. So maybe if you have questions, we can link you up. Um, if not, there are a lot of resources online, including apps. Again, this is very limited to people who have accessibility. And that's yeah. a whole other conversation that makes me angry and I want to go on a rant on, but I will stop. <laughs> Also, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is, if you need it, 1-800-273-8255. You can also find it online as well. Um, It is something to know. And I know, I think I just tweeted the other day, and I'll retweet it on our social media. There was one specifically for the trans community because Mm -hmm. it is really important right now as the trans community is under attack by the U.S. government in itself and oftentimes even just people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fuck you, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> definitely <laughs> look those resources up when you're like feeling in a good place and go ahead and put them in your phone. I've called it before. Um, and I'm so, so glad I had it in my phone already. Um, so yeah, please take care of yourselves. We're thinking of you. We love you. If you need to reach out to us for whatever reason, 
we're, we're happy to provide whatever uh, relief or silly jokes in my case, um, or Star Wars facts, so many, um, <laughs> that we can. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producers, JJ Posway and Andrew Howard. Thanks, y'all. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 